Good morning. My name is Magdiel. I'm, uh, we're going to read our uh, scripture passage from the, this morning. It comes from Mark. We're going to be on chapter 2, verse 13 to 17 from, from the NIV version. It says, Once again Jesus went out to, beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked alone, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this uh, scripture. Thank you, God, for the ways that you, you're, you are calling us this morning. You're calling in our hearts. You know how we um, feel uh, what is in our hearts. We just pray that you can speak into our lives again, God, in a powerful way. We just pray that you can lead us. And thank you for your overwhelming love that is always working and transforming our lives. As we hear the, this uh, message from Pastor Dave, we just pray that you can speak it through his life and the, through him, and that we can receive something from you, God. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. God is good. All the time. Amen, amen. Wow, it seems like every week that passes, uh, I see more faces out here. So that's good to see. And uh, if you didn't get a, if you're a kid and you didn't get a, a treat bag, um, actually, I think everyone got one and there was exactly the right amount. So praise God for that. I feel like that was a feeding the 5,000 moment. <laughs> but <laughs> we continue in our series called Jesus Moves, and uh, as I reflect on this series, and I don't know if this was the original intent and vision for our series, but it's becoming a lot about healing, Um, at least for me as I prepare. um, My heart has been more and more vulnerable, and maybe that's the season as the clouds come in (laughs) and it starts raining, I get more emo or something about that. Uh, (laughs) But... uh, uh, but it is, you know, because Jesus was a healer, right? Jesus, we, we kind of skip past those parts in, the, in Scripture about how much Jesus heals and how the people surrounded him and were hungry for healing, to be touched physically, to be touched emotionally. And um, maybe as a church, we forget that we are all in need of healing. And we forget... Perhaps that we're sinners, um, that we're poor in spirit, and that we lack. And um, maybe sometimes we're busy um, getting the task of church or 
kind of pointing, maybe even pointing our fingers or uh, looking at what's wrong in the world and forgetting about what's going on in our own hearts and souls, what's wrong in our hearts and souls and how Jesus is wanting to heal, wanting to continue to build sovereign foundations um, in us uh, to build something new, to build his kingdom uh, within us from the inside out. Amen. And so, yeah, Jesus Moves has been about healing. And, you know, part of being a pastor is that I, I don't clock in and clock out. I don't have, a, like, an established schedule, even though I try hard to have a rhythm, you know, that's consistent throughout the week. You know, my schedule is more flexible than my spouse's and more flexible than people who have nine to five jobs. And so part of being having a flexible schedule is that I'm the parent that's the soccer dad of the family. So both of my kids play soccer, and uh, I don't know why we signed them up for soccer, but that just means I'm driving all around town. And uh, yesterday it was Olympia, so that was wonderful. Five hours out of my day, but, you know, to a... Isaiah had a good soccer game. His soccer team is on a winning streak. Like after, you know, experiencing loss after loss after loss, I never knew, uh, thought they would win again. They've been on a three-game winning streak. So something's, something's clicking on their team. And I don't know what it is. I think it's my cheering, right? Uh, but I love actually going to a soccer games because, um, you know, I can take off well, you never take off the pastor hat. I guess it's a calling, it's a vocation, it's, uh, it's that. But, you know, I can kind of let down my hair and be myself a little bit and, you know, joke around. And not that I don't joke around as a pastor now in church, but anyways, that's a side thing. Um, and I get to talk to people, talk to parents. And, and it's really fun, and I get to trash talk the other team, and no, I don't do that. Uh, I'm not one of those parents. Um, but it can get intense sometimes. But anyways, you know, we're cheering and uh, laughing on the sideline and having a good old time. And uh, uh, is Isaiah here? I, I didn't know. I, didn't, I should have asked him before I shared. But uh, he had a shot on goal, and he was, had a breakaway, and he took a shot, but it was kind of far, off, far out, and he didn't have enough leverage on it, so it's just a, a little weak kick right to the goalie. And I'm like, I'm like, that's weak, Isaiah. Like, and all the parents around me are like, oh. All right, don't worry. We're, we're, I'm Korean, right? We, we motivate through shame, right? So it's like, <laughs> like, shame is the great motivator. It builds, it's built empires. And I was joking. We, Isaiah knows I'm joking and stuff like that. And Calm down, people. Like, don't call CPS. Um, but uh, yeah, that's. But that question, you know, you ha as parents, you always have that question. Like, how much do you push your kids, right, to do more or to like uh, live up to their potential if they're sandbagging it in life or they're just kind of uh, uh. like, how much do you push them and discipline them? Right? And expect more of them. And how much is it about just unconditional love? Just loving your kid. And so in my own soul, there's that swirl of like different cultures. Like 
I grew up and, you know, my parents had their form of punishment. <laughs> you know, many of us have maybe experienced that. And like, it drove me to perform. It drove me to success. It drove me to do well in academics. It drove me, drove me, drove me. And uh, I am grateful for many things. Like, oh, if my parents hadn't pushed me in that way, I wouldn't have done this or this or this. And at the same time, I'm like, oh, what is this, you know, what is this ugly, like, performance thing, this perfectionism? If I fail, like, I just beat myself up. What is that in me? Like, and then and it comes out, I'm not immune from it just because I'm clergy and in ministry. I'm not immune from feeling like, oh, I didn't do a good job or I didn't do good enough or my identity wrapping, being wrapped around what I do in ministry. And so there's that other part of it. Oh, that, that's an inheritance from my parents or my upbringing as well. And I think about organizations, churches, workplaces, companies, corporations. And I've always wanted to be, I've always liked being a part of organizations that value failure. In other words, they say it's okay to fail. Or don't be afraid to risk failure. Because what that means is it's a place of grace. It's a place where they encourage, this organization encourage risk taking and like doing new things and challenging yourself and risking failure. If you know that even if you fail, it's okay, get up, debrief, wipe, you know, wipe the dust off your feet and keep going. You're like, oh, there's a freedom in that. There's a freedom that comes when you're like, it's okay to fail. And so I really um, like that um, in organizations where there's a freedom to fail and in myself where I allow myself to fail because I think that actually brings out freedom and grace and creativity and entrepreneurship and you try new things. And sure, you may mess up, sure you may fail, Sure, you may like waste time and money, but in the end, the culture is so much that you learn from it, and sometimes those risks actually pay off, and you find yourself flying, right, in the sky when you knew you couldn't fly at all, right? And so I see that in the body of Christ, as followers of Jesus, as the church, that we're constantly in this tension. I find our, myself in this tension now, like, man, when we first started Renew, it was about young adults. All the, you know, the 60, 80, 70% of young adults that are leaving the church and not returning. Like 18 through 29, why are they leaving? Why are they leaving? Let's capture the young adults. That was my, when I was in campus ministry, that was what drove me, like, Oh man, let's re-disciple, right, these students in college who are maybe away from home for the first time and, you know, what does it mean to really follow Jesus and like get, make Jesus Lord in your life, make decisions that actually involve, you know, Jesus. And um, so that, that always compelled me and drove me. And in the beginning of Renew, it always felt like, oh, you know, we're the underdogs. We're, you know, you know, down with the institutional church, you know, and the people we drew, was, they were like that. And um, it was about 
inclusiveness. Like, let us be renewed about how we look at the church. Include, 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 include. And as we grow as a church, not, neither of this, none of this is right or wrong. But as we grow in the church and become more mature, you know, we run into problems like, yes, include everyone, include everyone, but whatever. Here's the reality. <laughs> like, sin happens, or bad choices happen, or, you know, conflict happens. Like, oh, we got to figure, we got to figure this out. We got to have some sort of standards, or we have to, you know, there's some, we don't want to draw lines, but there's something about following Jesus or being the community of faith that makes us unique and set apart. We see that in scripture. We're set apart. We're holy, covered by grace, of course. Um, and so there's this constant tension, you know. Even in our communion, we say, open table, come as you are, right? Come, come into the church, come as you are. And at the same time, we know that the reality of the world like, we, we watch enough TV, we watch enough news, we've been around the block enough to know that sin is real, right? And people are messed up, and people hurt other people, and there's injustice, there's abuse of power, there's this and that. And when I look at my, my own discipleship and my own growth in Jesus and the faith, um, I'm grateful for the grace uh, that God has shown me through mentors and through people who have discipled me to grow my heart, to heal my heart, to allow me to fail, even when like, oh man, you're probably not the right person for the job, but we're going to throw you into the spot um, that there was, you know, the allowance to fail, um, but also a challenge, a challenge to stop living in this way and making those choices and make new choices. And so, I don't know if you're with me, but there's a tension. There's a tension, right? And uh, when I was in college, I went to a, I chose not to go to UW in Seattle and do the, you know, all my Asian friends were going to UW and majoring in computer science and they're going to work at Microsoft. And I was like, I want to wear Birkenstocks and major in English lit and like go to a liberal arts college and grow my hair long and like have burned incense in my room. That's what I want to do. So I went to Whitman College in Walla Walla, Washington and wasted like $120,000 on an English lit major. But not in Mason. Uh, <laughs> computer science, dang it! <laughs> um, but, you know, I fancied myself kind of like granola, kind of like hip, you know, uh, you know, these days you would call it woke, you know, you're a hipster woke person, um, but now, it, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm about equal rights, I'm, a, you know, I'm, I grew up Korean, but, like, I respect women, um, <laughs> but <laughs> that didn't come out the way it should have come out, but, like, don't take, don't make stereotypes about Korean Americans, there's good Korean Americans. <laughs> um, but you know it, it, it wasn't until I started dating that the stuff came out right that 
oh, I'm not really that progressive. Actually, I have stuff. I grew up in a Korean-American home, a very traditional home. Dad was a pastor and was honored and stuff like that. Mom stayed home, cleaned and cooked, and like she served the men first at dinner, and all of that stuff. And, uh, you know, and so with that comes expectation, right? And so, you know, when I started dating, that started to come up like, why are you disrespecting me like that, right? And she's like, what are you talking about disrespect? Like, you know, um, and so those type of things, the reality of what's inside, this, in spite of what I intellectually claimed, started to be intention and come out. And that's where the healing was. And then, like, I feel lucky that I was a part of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship because there's w strong women on staff uh, that really kick butt, right? And um, so my, all through college I was mentored by a woman named Connie Anderson and she would just, you know, boom, right? Like this, I'd call her the silken hammer, like somehow she was kicking my butt but I felt loved, you know? Like it's like, how did that happen? Like, whoa! <laughs> like, and, and I made mistakes in college, I made bad mistakes, like, you know, bought alcohol for freshmen in my dorm when I was an upperclassman, stuff like that, right? And, uh, you know, she would forgive, she would be invested in me, but she would hammer me. And, uh, and I think she was the first, my first time that I experienced a woman called by God in ministry who spoke, who discipled, who was a prayer warrior, and who spoke into my life and like challenged me. And that's when the healing, and she actually like, yeah, we stepped into deep healing stuff. And then after, after college, there was, um, yeah, I'll just let, like S Sue Mills and Kim Porter, all these, all these like power women that just invested in me, took a chance on me, um, mentored me, gave me, trained me in ministry. And so um, I'm grateful that now that I can, I can be in a denomination like the Covenant Church that's been, you know, ordaining women pastors since 1976, um, even though, yes, as a denomination we've been doing that, there's still churches in our denomination that are against women elders or women and ordination. That's just the way of the world. And they're, they're still rolling covenant and there's still ongoing tension. There's still churches in practice, like in, with words we say, oh, we believe in the ordination of women or we believe in women and leadership on all levels of the church. But when it push comes to shove, when it comes to like practical application, like in hiring practices, for instance, like there are no women candidates or in, in the job descriptions, there's like subtle things that exclude women that clearly you're looking for an older experienced male with a deep voice that can speak with authority from the pulpit, right? Like, um, so that's all to say we live in a, we live in a man's world, I mean, um, <laughs> We live in a messy world, and there's still a lot of healing and brokenness, and there's a lot of conflict and differences of opinions, 
And we still argue those things. We use the Bible to argue those things, right? And, um, and we disagree. And Jesus comes in, came into a broken world. That's why Jesus came, and that's what this passage is about. Jesus came into a broken world. And the, the addition to that is, that means Jesus came for you and me. Right? Amen. Jesus came into a broken world. Jesus came for you and me. That means we're broken. All of us are sinners. And sometimes I forget that, right? I forget in all my efforts to be good, to be a good pastor, I forget, like, I'm a sinner as well. Like, that is why Jesus came. And if, I do, if we don't see ourselves as sinners or don't recognize the depravity, our depravity, then we have nothing to do with Jesus, right? We don't need his grace. We don't need Jesus' saving work. We don't need Jesus. And let's just, next slide, just look at that, what he says, right? The people are whispering. The, the leaders of the temple are whispering because Jesus has just called Levi, um, also Matthew, who's a tax collector. And in Jewish culture, tax collectors, you probably heard this, were considered evil or bad or sellouts or traitors because they worked for the Roman Empire, the occupying power, to collect taxes. But they weren't paid. Like, you, they, you get $20 an hour. What the Roman Empire said was, you collect this, we expect this amount of taxes collected. That goes to us. That's mine. Right? It's like a loan strike. And these are his collectors, his enforcers. And they're, and they're saying, and you guys... You can take whatever, out, any extra that you take, that's how you pay yourself. And so obviously this sets up a corrupt system where tax collectors are just taking extra as much as they want from people. And they're Jewish, so they're taking from their own people um, unjustly. And so they're despised and in, in the religious circles even considered uh, sinners, right? Um, and so Jesus actually calls Levi as one of his disciples. Come and follow me. And Levi drops everything and follows me. And then on top of that, as we saw last week, Jesus doesn't just interact and touch people or heal people. Jesus actually enters incarnationally into their life, right? He, tra he trades places with them. He he walks a mile in people's shoes. So not only does he call Levi, but he's rolling. He, he has dinner. He has a meal with Levi and his buddies, all of his friends, his crew. It is not the healthy who need a doctor. Jesus, it says, I think it says, sensing what they were saying. Right? They're talking trash. They're judging me. They're saying, look who I'm rubbing shoulders with. Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
And this is where you may have heard the phrase, the good doctor. Like Jesus is the good doctor. It comes from this. Like a doctor who, who's most effective and com- whose purpose is to help heal, diagnose the sick and provide healing and medicine and whatnot. Jesus, as the Savior and Messiah of the world, came for the sick, came for sinners, not the righteous, right? If Jesus is the healer, the Savior, it would make sense that the people that he would go to and be with are the sick and the sinners, right? Are you with me, church? It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous, but the sinners. You know, that journey of whatever it is, um, chauvinism or that part in my heart that hadn't been dealt with fully, like that, that need for respect, right? This is my entitlement. This is my title as a male in this family, or this is my title as a pastor, right? That, that sense of entitlement that because of my title, I shouldn't have to wash dishes or I shouldn't have to cook or people should address me with respect or women should know their place, right? That kind of thing, the ugliness that's in there, God is constantly, has in the past, like been working on that and I know I'm not complete, right? I know I'm not a final product, that he's still doing that. And so in that sense, it's like physical therapy. It's like checkups. We, we still need to go to Jesus and be like, I sin. I, here we, why is this, why are we dealing with, I did that 10 years ago. Why is this coming up again? And Jesus is like, man, it's like when you're weeding. Like, you can't just pull the green leafy part. That thing's going to come back. And you go to the dandelion, and you're like, you know, you try to dig around it as deep as you can, and you, like, pull, like, down on the stem, and you're like, oh, and then you hear the snap, and it breaks, and you're like, no, because you know that thing's coming back because it's still in there. And how satisfying it is when you pull on that root of that dandelion, and, like, it all slips out. And then all the hairy, like the hair roots are there and all. And you're like, I got it, right? I weeded it all out. It's there. And such is life, our lives and our heart and our walk with Jesus. Sometimes we get down and we pull and we pull and snap, right? We get the leaves and we get a good part of root. And it's like, oh, yes. But part of us is like, oh, there's still more in there, but... It's not the season, like, that's enough for now, right? And then sometimes in our lives, it's like, okay, you ready? We're going to go get the rest of that. Ooh, the hairy stuff down deep. Yes, I got all of that dandelion. And then you realize, boop, 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 more pop up around. Okay, I won't be too cynical. 
And Jesus is doing this. If we allow Jesus to do this, if we allow God to do this, if we come in poverty and spirit and a desire to grow, Jesus does it. He pulls and pulls and heals and heals and does open heart surgery and pulls the malignant tumors out of our body where they shouldn't be and we're healed and we're healed to be more whole people but also to be as more whole people we're able to love others more holy does that make sense so the point of following Jesus is not to be holy but to live holy with a WH if that makes sense we're not supposed to be holy in the ways that we follow all the rules to the letter, but we're supposed to be whole and to love holy. Um, and that's as we allow ourselves to be patients under the good doctor. Are you with me, church? Yes. So Jesus moves in us, right? And Every so often, we get, this, uh, we get this stirring in our hearts, or the season starts, and you know, you kind of feel it like, oh, okay, it's that season now, and I like get ready, I tie on my boots, and I'm like, okay, maybe not a lot of ministry is going to get done, but there's going to be a lot of like upheaval and healing and transformation. Let's go. It's like the, the uh, Matt Damon in uh, Goodwill Hunting. Let the healing begin. <laughs> right? Let's go, God. I'm ready. Crash helmet on. Let the healing begin. And I know. I know you're like, oh my gosh, like it's so intense on Sunday right now. Jesus moves. All right, we gotta look at our stuff. Um, but I think it's, it's a part of being disciples of Jesus. And, and I think the approach also is not being afraid to fail, right? I think what stops us from stepping into these messy times and messy things is what would it look like? What would people think, you know? If I'm doing this, if I'm struggling with this, or if I'm sharing this part of me, what will people think if I acknowledge this or admit to this? What will people think? But if we live under the culture of the grace, the unconditional grace of Jesus, of God, we know that we're safe. Does that make sense? Like we're safe to bring it out. Because God's got our back, Jesus, you know, um, Jesus is our support and covers us. A grace covers a multitude of sin. And that, I think, goes to what I want us at Renew, the culture and the ethos that we should be building is, on the one hand, it's not all good, right? It's not all good. Like, there is sin in the world, and there's sin in us, and we're sinners. It's not all good. But the flip side of that is God is gracious, right? I always tell my son and my kids, like, 
you have a bright idea, no idea that you come up with hasn't been thought about before in my generation. <laughs> In the, by Gen Xers. Uh, and he's like, ah, oh, and then he says, you boomer. I'm not a boomer, I'm a Gen Xer. Right? And the same with God. There is no story, no mistake, no messed upness that you can come up, that you can live through, that you can do that God hasn't seen or heard before. Amen. That's why we can bring it to God. And God, he's got you. He's got us, church. God has got us. So, it's not being oblivious to sin, everything's okay. But it's also like, there is power. There is grace. Right? There, in your failures... God is there. Amen. And so I want us to take some time to reflect. Um, I did want to talk about the sickness of the world a little bit. That as we recognize the sickness in us, we also recognize that we live in a sick world. You know, we live in a sick world. We live in a world where the weak are taken advantage of. We live in a world where the rich get richer and are greedier. We live in a world where information, like lies are told for the sake of the bottom line or making a buck. We live in a world where children are exploited. We live in a world where there's anger, and the home isn't a safe place. And we live in a world where there's wars, and tribalism, and, and people, peoples being exterminated, being take, wiped out. And it's a, it's a hard world out there. And that is why Jesus came. Jesus wants to eat with all of those people, to commune with all of those people. And Jesus is saying, come sinners to the table. Right? He's inviting you and me, come, let's be with those people. Let's eat together because not much separates you, know, you from them us from them. There's not much that separates us. And so as we take time and maybe the worship team can play a little something, something, ask yourself these questions. How am I sick and need the good doctor in my life? And where are the sick places around me, the sick people around me that God is wanting me to touch, to eat with, to dine with?